Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Oh shit, I'm back, baby. Actually, I'm finally back with the Black Duck Revival podcast because we have our baby now. And the first three weeks have been kooky and intense and a whole lot of me not being around because I had clients up at the lodge, then I was in Texas and all sorts of stuff. But we're back with the podcast. We've got some really great episodes coming up. We've got some stuff banked, so look forward to that. And uh, thanks for bearing with me, guys. Sometimes life is hard and complicated, and you just have to prioritize your priorities. And you know, for the last few weeks, that has been me being at home as much as possible with my family and taking care of the kids and taking care of my wife and all that stuff. But yeah, so we have our baby boy. He was born on December 22nd, and before I introduce this episode, I'll give you a little rundown about how all that went down. So, originally the the boy was supposed to be born on December 12th, Uh, he didn't come, and he still hadn't come, and we were kind of getting to the holidays, and the doctor wanted us to go ahead and go in there, Uh, so we go in there, and when, when did we check in? I guess like the 21st? But Marianne, again, third time in a row, did a fantastic job bringing one of our children into the world. And all that stuff, you know, ultimately went pretty well. Uh, it was when all that funky weather was kind of ripping across the country. And uh, so while he was being born, there was like this kind of gnar- four Little Rock gnarly snowstorm, wind whipping around everything. Uh, I think when we went into the hospital, it was like in the 60s. And then when... I went home to put the new car seat in and come back up there. You know, it was like in the single digits. I had to go out to the car like with a hospital blanket because I didn't have a coat on. But like I said, everything ended up good. Uh, We're starting to kind of slowly ease back into normality. Uh, But something really cool that that did happen is uh, maybe I don't know if I've talked about this before or not, but... uh, I grew up, I know I've posted about this on Instagram. I grew up with uh, these two brothers, Stephen and Andy, and our parents still live uh, on the same street, like five houses away from each other. And it was like, Andy was two, Stephen was three, my little sister Julia was four, and I was five. And we were like a running crew, you know, probably until about junior high, and then my sister kind of peeled off, and just like the boys kind of kept running together. And, you know, I was the first one to go to high school, and first one to go to college and even as our lives kind of got more disparate like the relationship I mean we would not talk for six months at a time or however long it was till I got back to St. Louis but it's just always been this incredibly close like familial relationship but anyway uh the younger brother Andy you know as we got older you know Andy got uh got a degree in automotive mechanic work and 
started hunting and yeah, we just had like a few more things in common and, you know, we just rap and hang out and all that stuff. And so anyway, Andy, uh, battled with cancer for like five years and he'd like go into remission, then it would come back and go into remission, then it would come back. And, uh, that last year or so, I don't know, man, maybe like six months, uh, a couple years ago, six months before he passed away, he, he called me and told me that, you know, it was end up, it was going to end up being terminal. So, uh, anyway, uh, you might've seen this Instagram post I made. I bought his shotgun from him so I could keep hunting with a shotgun just, you know, as a way to think about him. And, uh, he passed away like a week and a half before my dad did. So that was like a crummy August a couple years ago. But when Marianne and I found out that we were going to have a boy, uh, I thought it'd be cool to, to name the boy after, after Andy. So, uh, you know, we're also, we also like family names and my grandpa's name was dearest Nathaniel Wilkins, which is like the Nathaniel is part of why I'm named Jonathan. So, uh, settled on Andrew Dearest Wilkins and, uh, the original Andy, Andy Dandy, as my dad always called him, his birthday was December 22nd. And I used to be always like be really envious of him because Andy's mom is uh, Jewish, his dad's Catholic, and then his birthday was right then. So, you know, there was like this week and a half period in December always where Andy got, Hanukkah and then he got birthday presents and then he got Christmas presents and it was just like the gnarliest week and a half uh and his family never did that stuff where they like muted some of the celebration because they're so close together like he just got all that stuff in quick succession anyway uh my son Andrew who was named after Andy Dandy uh ended up being born uh on December 22nd so they've got the same birthday a really cool living legacy. And yeah, I just want to share that with you. So back to what we're all here for, which is a podcast. And this week I'm joined by John Smolko, uh, originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and now a resident of uh, one of my kind of favorite or new favorite cities, Asheville, North Carolina. But shit, man, I mean, he's only there for a little bit every year. He's waterfowl season he's bouncing between mississippi and arkansas guiding geese and ducks Uh, in the summertime he's up in alaska guiding fly fishing trips he's also on the coast of north carolina uh, running fishing trips he's a outdoor and hunting photographer Uh, he worked for a long time for yeti kind of at the initiation of of that brand Uh, he's just been around for a long time and he does a ton of different things uh really creative dude and just kind of a guy that's got a lot of wanderlust and i met him originally last year uh, just about this time and right towards the end of january uh he came out and uh trevor stewart from sitka was coming to hunt and he was like hey man can my, my buddy's gonna be in town can he come hunt with us i said sure and so uh smoko ended up coming and hanging out and just ended up being a real cool guy and so for like a year we tried to set up this podcast and it just never really aligned until uh, just recently. So, again, we're back running with the podcast. Uh, lots of cool stuff coming up in the coming weeks and months. And to start that that kind of new session off, uh, please listen to and enjoy this conversation with John Smoker.
Hey everybody, welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, this is being recorded on January 1st, the first day of 2023. Had a really awesome hunt today for geese, uh, specks and snows and some incidental ducks with a cool group of people. And now I am joined by John Smolko, who... I've been referring to this man uh, by the wrong last name for, what, almost a year, right? Yeah, about a year. Yeah, because it was, yeah, I guess last year we met, it was like the last week of January we hunted. Uh, but anyway, so you are a, currently, you're a resident of what kind of Asheville, North Carolina? Yeah, about maybe a month and a half, a year. I keep an address there. Originally from Memphis? Yep, grew up in Memphis. So just like an hour from here in Brinkley, I'm up at the lodge. Uh, and then John, who's amongst other things, so he's a uh, waterfowl guide and a fishing guide and a photographer and doing some videography work. Uh, and you were down by what? You were down by Clarendon? Right? Yep, kind of hunting over here. There uh, about. In, yeah. in the neighborhood here. Yeah, so he was like hunting East Arkansas, let's say. Maybe we'll block out what town I just said. But uh, so you were guiding, doing some goose guiding uh, this weekend. And it's taken like a year to get you back over here to record a podcast. But I'm glad it's happened finally. And we've been sitting here drinking beers and just kind of taking a breath after having clients and uh, responsibilities and the wear and tear that hunting and getting up early and all that stuff can have on you. But uh, tell everybody what your plan is because you got like a cool week coming up, man. You're like heading back to Memphis and then you're bebopping all over the place. Yeah, big big week coming up. Uh, headed back to Memphis uh, this evening and then cleaning up all my gear. Headed over to Dallas for Dallas Safari Club for a day to talk to some folks about some stuff I'm working on. Come back to Memphis, and I'll come back over here to Arkansas to hunt next weekend, and then headed to Costa Rica for a week to film and uh, fish a marlin tournament. What a terrible life you lead. And then earlier this year, when did you get back from Alaska? Because you're up there guiding fish trips, right? Yeah, I'm usually up there about June to mid-September, uh, mostly guiding fishing trips and a few waterfowl hunts towards the end of the year. Uh, are you doing any – are you doing any uh – Fish or guiding for fish in Carolina at all? Or? Yep, I do striped bass in the spring in the eastern part of the state, and in the fall I do false albacore and uh, the big redfish. Do you you do that kind of stuff like off a skiff, or how does that work? Uh, for the stripers, I've got a little 16-foot jet boat, which is kind of cool. Um, they've become more popular where I guide, but um, allows me to get away from some of the crowds uh, in the river over there. Uh, and then down at the beach... I'm running a 23-foot center console boat. It's near shore, uh, mm -hmm. maybe up to four or five miles, maybe 10 offshore. Man, you know, you just said jet boat. So this dude that was here hunting, like, just left a few hours ago. I'll give him a plug. His name's Jim Schultz. He is a, he's like a semi-retired uh, metal worker and fabricator. And we were driving out to the field today and talking about what he does. And he said, uh, you know, I'm kind of semi-retired. Did metal work for a long time. Uh, he's like, and I, 
it's kind of like the last couple of years, I, I've kind of developed this like sort of invention thing. I was like, really, what is it, man? And it's a, uh, it's like an improved grate for a, uh, like a jet, uh, like a jet propulsion system, not propulsion, a jet motor on a boat. Mm-hmm. You know, like it'll suck up gunk and rocks and whatever and can bust it up. Well, this is like an adjustable louvered grate that like up on the council, it's got like a lever. So when you get stuff stuck in there, you can just pop it in neutral, open it, close it, shake everything out, and then keep going. Interesting. It's pretty neat, dude. Uh, Have fun. I spent a lot of, lot of time behind the tiller of a jet boat. Between that uh, and Alaska. Do you think that it would do you think you could ever run a jet boat in timber like around here? Do you think it would just be clogged up constantly? Nah, leaves. Too many leaves. Yeah. It wouldn't work. I wonder if this invention could correct that. It might change the face of timber hunting. Yeah. I mean you can we can stay up on, on top and almost no water in them things, so I mean, it's like pretty, inches, right? Oh yeah, it's and it's weird. Um, so when you're going over a gravel bar or something, it, we can go. It uh, can't go forever, but for short distances, we can drive those boats in about three inches of water. Wow! And so what happens is the uh, the boat acts as a wedge. If you think of the bottom of the river as being flat, the boat is a wedge, and so as it's running, it's forcing all that water under the hull. And so it's, as it goes towards from the bow, the front to the stern, the back of the boat, that water is getting compressed. Well, eventually you're forcing more water into the back of the boat than it can actually than actually fit there in that space. Mm-hmm. And so you keep forcing water in there, and you'll actually feel the back of the boat lift up. Is it kind of like hydroplane or? Not really. Um, it's like so, riding on a cushion of air sort of thing? No, it's not air. It's water. It's, yeah, it's but, as you continue to force water Underneath the back of the boat, it'll actually pick the back of the boat up. That's pretty wild, man. It's pretty cool. Uh, But, I mean, that's like, yeah, most of the time people are running that on, like, shallow Yeah, rocky, rocky, gravelly, sandy bottom. Yeah, not so good with leaves and everything else. And acorns Mm -hmm. and whatever else people throw off the bridge here in Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, So, look, man, you – so, Lindsey Davis – Lindsey Brown Davis, who uh, was on this podcast almost exactly a year ago, because I was in Utah last January, the first week of January last year. Uh, You know her from back in the day, because you guys used to travel around and do uh, events for Yeti, correct? Yeah, we go quite a few years back. That's almost 10 years ago now. But uh, some of the first people that Yeti hired back when they only had the coolers and two colors and they had just come out with the cups and we're about to launch the, the soft sided cooler. So way back in the day for Yeti, uh, Lindsay and I, and, uh, some other people, they hired us to go take the show on the road. The first tour, um, we also had, I think Sims and Sitka gear with us too. And so that's how I got hooked up with, with those guys also, but it was fun. They put us in a truck and trailer and said, here's all the shows and events you need to be at. And, we do everything from fishing tournaments to outdoor expos, overland expos, um, rodeos, all kinds of fun stuff. And this is like when they're still trying to get the public familiar with Yeti? Yep. So at this point, they're the 
I guess the rocket has just left the launch pad. Um, and it's just blowing up faster than anybody can handle. So it was a real fun time to be a part of it. And so then you moved from, okay, so let's back up a little bit. So you grew up in Memphis, right? Yep. Uh, and remind me exactly, your dad Your dad was like kind of like a high up in DU, right? Yeah, he was uh, instrumental in, in moving the world headquarters down here. Okay. Um, so I was born in D.C. My um, dad was in a, a hunting club up on the eastern shore of Maryland with uh, a guy by the name of Jim Range, who was my godfather, um, who was one of the founders of TRCP. Um, and Jim helped my dad get a job working with Ducks Unlimited. And then we got moved from there, um, I guess, to Chicago for a year. And then when I was three, we moved down here when they built the world, world headquarters. Okay. So, like, your dad, before y'all were here kind of in this southern epicenter of waterfowling, your dad was a longtime waterfowler. So you've been you've been involved in it, I would imagine, Yeah, there's a great, great photo my dad has of me. He's holding me on the duck boat with our uh, yellow lab julep. Um, I'm about exactly a year old, and he's holding me in the duck boat with the – with the dog. Yeah, so, like, born into it, right? Yeah. And so, then you grow up hunting, what, around Memphis and yep. the Mississippi? Yeah, there. Um, back when uh, hunting over this far west into Arkansas from Memphis, you were a long way off. Were you, um, guys, you guys weren't bumping no, I hunted a lot, a lot in Mississippi down around Tunica. Um, and then we'd do more on the St. Francis, like... You know, I guess you consider this Eastern Arkansas. We kind of consider this closer to Central Arkansas. Oh, uh, okay. like Eastern Arkansas for us is more like St. Francis, uh, Langille, like yeah. all, all those rivers. So we hunted up more over in that direction growing up. Okay, so you're kind of already you've got a familial relationship with you know quote unquote well hunting, but let's say quote unquote the outdoor industry, right? Like mm -hmm. starting with that, right? And then as a younger man. You're uh, you're living the high life, traveling, traveling the country with these roto molded coolers, <laughs> uh, and now and so you've had like you've got you've had your own uh, kind of out waterfowl outfits. Uh, you've worked for some other folks doing it. Now you're like up in Alaska, right? And you're guiding. Yep. Is that mostly fly fishing up there? Yeah, mostly fly fishing. We do all kinds of. Um, some spin fishing, some bait fishing, but most of the people that come up there want to fly fish. And then, and so would you be doing that? Would you be targeting trout or? Uh, trout, salmon, Arctic grayling, Dolly Varden, Arctic chars, lake trout, uh, northern pike, all kinds of, there's a lot of different species that we kind of go after, all five species of Pacific salmon. Are you, what sort of bodies of water? Are this like lakes or rivers or what are you doing? Uh, lakes, mostly lakes and rivers and, uh, some near coastal, uh, like <clears throat> one of the rivers we fish, we, our approach to land on it is over the ocean. So it's very, it's in a tidal estuary. Okay. Catching so you're salmon. like on, you're like going in places on a float plane. And stuff oh yeah. Then. Yep. Yep. So we'll go camp out at the woods and then fly, either fly people, uh, to our guides that live out in the woods or. I mostly now guide out of the lodge, so I either take a boat from the lodge or hop on a plane every day. Okay. But see, you're not flying the plane too, are you? No. Okay. No. Uh, and you even you even encountered, on your fishing travels, you encountered Gary Kramer. Yep. Uh, Gary uh, came up and uh, fished with him in Alaska. Yeah, renowned 
waterfowl and wildlife photographer. Uh, and you can hear more of my conversation with Gary by going to an earlier episode of this podcast. He actually, he sat in exactly where you're sitting, man. Uh, you know, my mom was supposed to go. My mom had been wanting to go to Africa. Uh, for like, just kind of like the bucket list trip, right? And so her and my wife, Marianne, had set up this February, like a year ago, this February, they were going to go to Africa on this photo safari, right? And so after I, uh, Gary does that, like Gary leads like two trips a year to Africa for these photo safaris. So I like put them together, right? My mom has like set everything up and then, uh, then we got pregnant and, uh, like we knew the kid was coming in December, <laughs> and so she had to she had to call Gary and be like, "Man, I can't come this year." Yep. Uh, but hopefully next year they'll be in Tanzania. You're gonna be in Africa. When are you gonna be in Africa? Hopefully this May. I'll be going over there. So yeah, busy year this year with Costa Rica, Africa, and Alaska. Yeah, all, man. All You're before June. Bebopping everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And then so back to the Alaska stuff, and then. So when your season's kind of wrapping up up there in September, that's like the very beginning of waterfowl season up there? Yep. The last kind of three weeks the lodge is open usually is um, waterfowl season up there. I keep hoping that I'll draw one of these emperor goose tags and get to hang around for a little while yeah. afterwards. And But, no, we shoot uh, up there. It's all mostly the same ducks we shoot here, puddle ducks, mallards, pintails, widgeons, gabwalls, speckle belly geese. Just none um, of them plumed out? Just they're all brown. Yeah. Does that man? Does that take anything out of it for you? Like, is it is it is it a B plus instead of an A plus when they're not like green headed and not really? Out? It's it's surprisingly where we are. It's oh, tell people it's the easiest place and the hardest place to hunt at the same time because there's endless pockets of pothole water. There's these huge lakes they can go and there's rivers. There's uh, endless places where they can be if they want to be so you really got to do your homework if you get to where they want to be you can throw out three decoys and you don't even have to touch a call mm. and they'll just come do it first time so it's really fun to watch because yeah. there's no hesitation they don't really work they just see you from a mile away and just lock it up man i bet you you get a high propensity of young first year birds doing that too man yeah like they've never seen anything yeah, that would be cool, man. So, but yeah, it's it's a lot of scouting and a lot of a lot of work on that end. How do you how do you do you scout from a plane? How do you do that? No, we usually well, I mean, we usually hunt out of the lodge <clears throat> unless we're down at the coast, and then that's tidal. Uh, it's when those birds move in and out of that mud flat. But around the lodge, uh, it's a lot of scouting by boat. If I'm flying back, I might look and just see where they are mm -hmm. that afternoon. But they move so much, it's better to try and get them so usually the night before something or i'll talk to the other guides that were guiding the lake and say hey, did you see any ducks today and where, yeah. where were they and try and make a plan we've got some different sloughs and creeks and pockets of water on the lake that we hunt it's usually all within there so it's fun do a cast and blast do that in the morning and then hang out around there and catch a giant fish in the afternoon uh man that emperor goose so a buddy of mine i was hunting with yesterday he uh I think it was like September. He was up in Alaska, right? Like they did a, they like fished and hunted ducks, early season ducks for, for Alaska, and then uh, he killed a caribou. 
uh, just like came back raving. I killed like Harlequin ducks and just like came back raving about it. this really cool experience. Uh, but he was talking about that Emperor Goose tag, and it's like I think there's like something like twenty five tags a year. It's mm-hmm. like very, very yeah, small population. It was closed closed season on them for. 30, 30 plus years, and uh, the last, I think they started in 17, they give out 25 non-resident tags a year, and there's a quota on them, so if the quota's met, even if you have a tag in your hand, it's no good. So, so there's 25 tags, but there's less. Non-resident, you can get an over-the-counter tag if you're a resident, oh, okay. but you're still limited to one bird. You know, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I am pulled my phone up, because I'm going to Google, I don't know. I don't know what an emperor goose looks like. <clears throat> I have a picture of one, actually. So in eastern North Carolina in the town of Scotland Neck, there's a bird park. Surprised Gary didn't tell you about that. And they have them there. They have pretty much every waterfowl in the world. It's about uh, 30 minutes from where I do the striper trips. Uh, kind of funny story about that. We, I was over there, and me and a couple other guides... We went turkey hunting that morning because we didn't have trips, and we ended up shooting a bird. Wait, this is tell me again. This is where Eastern North Carolina. Okay, and so we none of us had fishing trips that morning, so we went and turkey hunted at one of our buddies' places, um, and got a bird real early at like six ten in the morning, right off the limb. And uh, he's like, "Well, do you want to go to the bird park?" And I've been over there all my life and I've never heard of this bird park. He's like, it's the coolest thing ever. So we go over to this bird park and of course all of us are still head to toe in our turkey, camo. turkey hunting yeah. camo walking around this bird park, but it's pretty impressive. They've got all the, they've got an exhibit that's North America and South America and then one with the emperor geese and just crazy amount of birds over there. It's uh, did you get like weird looks from people thinking you were there to get a little something for the barbecue? Yeah. I don't, <laughs> it, uh, it was interesting. Luckily, it wasn't too crowded. I think it was like middle of the week, um, but it was. That's funny. It was man. definitely funny walking in there. I should go to the zoo wearing a bunch of camo sometime. So look, just so folks, uh, if they haven't seen them, if they're like me and they haven't seen them, so there's like a really pretty bird. You know, I'm kind of struck. So it's kind of got like a slate gray body with these like pretty black tips with like black and white tips. Uh, uh, white head it, do you know what an ombre color scheme on a hair dye is Mm-mm. uh i had it explained to me once it's kind of like that fade you know like from dark mm-hmm. to light or whatever and that's kind of what underneath its chin it's just like jet black and then it kind of opens up to this variegated and it's got a white head it man it doesn't look just incredibly dissimilar to a like a eagle head yeah snow like a goose. blue goose that hasn't yeah. Quite finished yeah, bolting yeah. all the way. I mean, I'm yeah. looking I'm looking at a mounted one over there, like maybe one of those interphase ones or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, it's real pretty, man. Ooh, this one has a band on it in this picture. I think it's also behind a chain link fence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Maybe at the bird park. Hey, it might be. But so that's kind of like a bucket list bird for you, you think? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a big one. What's the – so, like, for you in particular, what's the, what's the appeal of that? Just the – the see, scarcity the, of it, yeah. The just it's the adventure of it too, hunting them down on the Aleutians, uh, and doing that, and just it's once of a lifetime kind of thing. Are you hunting them? Are you hunting them uh, on freshwater or uh, <clears throat> in the ocean? For I think mostly I've got a friend out um, in Western 
way western Alaska. Um, and they see them from time to time on some ponds and stuff, but most of the hunting's done is coastal, rocky coastal. Oh, uh, like those little... Yeah, saltwater type stuff. Hmm. Uh, you know, so... There was another guy, this guy Gene, that was hunting with us this weekend. We were talking about that. Uh, so my my buddy Jordan, that had been up in Alaska, and he you know killed those harlequin ducks and whatever. Those are sea ducks, right? So we we're asking. I was like, man, were you in those little little boats just bobbing around? And he was like, yeah, dude. And Gene and I were both like, dude, I'd be seasick. Just if I think about that, I get kind of nauseated, right? Uh, but those those rock outcroppings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seemed, I kind of got this image in my head, man. Like, I just want wind blowing and like frozen rain and shit. And I'm just like out there hunkered down and then they come in and boom. You don't want that? Man, yeah, it's, it's a brutal place to be when it's like that up there. I'll bet. No, yeah, I want it to be brutal. But it makes for some good stories and, and quite the experience. Uh, yeah, I really, I, I've got this, I've got this thing in my head, man, where I want to do this like, hard cold blustery backcountry duck hunt to where like you know you got to hike 10 miles oh, into yeah. it and and then huddle up in a tent at night to stay yeah. warm and i think that would be you know if like find this, a pocket if, of water out west that's got a hot spring or that you got to hike way into or something yeah, like yeah. that or, there's yeah. like a you know there's a degree of there's a reward that comes with a certain amount of suck factor mm-hmm. you know like I'm not saying I want all my duck hunts to be like that. Yeah. Like today was ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like today was like 65. Yeah. First day of the year, 65, bluebird. Yeah, and it was negative temperatures a week ago. Yeah. Uh, and shit, yesterday, man, I could barely see anything. It was so foggy. Like we were talking about, it was like hunting in a cloud. Uh, but, I mean, I was swatting mosquitoes. There were buffalo nets out yesterday. I was like, this mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah. But it's nice to have that sometimes because you can, you can stay out there without the uh, – Without the like endurance factor. Yep. You know, like we had hot, we were eating breakfast burritos in the blind and I had like a big thermos of coffee and it was comfortable. Like, you know, I had yeah, being comfortable is everything. Yeah. Especially when you're hunting with people that don't do it all that often. Yeah. 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 Uh, so then you're down here, you're going to, you're doing, you're doing this waterfowl guiding down here. You're bouncing over to Costa Rica, right? You're yeah. putting the, putting the moves together for, uh, like we said, possibly doing an Africa trip, yep. uh, which would be like a multi-tiered thing, right? Like you can yep. do some hunting, you do some conservation work, like yep. possibly even like collaring lions. Like that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, it, honestly, dude, it sounds like, and you just said to yourself, like you're back home and at you, so you got a house in Asheville and you're there like yep. a month and a half a year, man. Yeah. Uh, That's my vacation spot. Is that, you just like, that's like your little in-between yep. time. You can just go there and relax. I go home. I, pray, I hardly ever fish there anymore. I just go home and hang out and see my friends and maybe do some whitewater kayaking and rafting and uh, just kind of use it as my space to hang out, have fun. So, You ever go to that place in Asheville, Whole Donuts? I haven't been to that one. Dude, that place is uh, amazing. They, it's, so they, this lady does a... Uh, I can't remember what street it's on. It's right down the street from my buddy. Uh, this is weird, dude. You're like, it's like uh, seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. 
all these people that I'm yeah. thinking of have uh, <laughs> been on this podcast. Oh, no, all these my the same people. My buddy Thomas, who helped me build that big smoker out there, he lives in Asheville. It's like a half a block down the street from his uh, shop. And this lady does, it's like three, she only does three kinds of donuts, and then she alternates like a gotcha. donut of the week or something. And they're like super artisan, like they're kind of lumpy looking and like hand shaped. Good God! I mean, check that out. It, you ever eat like a Shipley's donut in Little Rock or anything? Mm-mm. I haven't spent much time in Little Rock, but oh. the, the big one in Memphis is Gibson's. Okay, so I mean, look, and I love a hot donut from oh, yeah. anywhere, right? But this is like this is like on a com- completely different, uh, like kind level. of non traditional. Well, have you ever had? Uh, excuse me. Have you ever? been in like New York or something and had like a real deal legit just top shelf bagel just like crusty on the outside steamy warm inside soft and chewy mm-hmm. and just like what a bagel supposed to be yep and then you buy one of these like lenders pieces of crap yeah. from the Walmart frozen section mm-hmm. it, it's like that man uh like it, it's an insult to call whatever that junk Duncan is making yeah and this the same thing uh but yeah next time you go home we'll I gotta be do there that. for three we'll days finally get to go home in February for the first time since uh before Thanksgiving so how long you get to hang out for be home mostly in February most of February March I've got pretty light February I'll be at NWTF show I don't know if you're gonna be I think I will that. go this year yeah. uh so I'll be be at NWTF and then in March I've got a Keys trip uh, to go tarpon fishing down there, and then I'm uh, supposed to stop by Florida Outdoor Experience and do some Osceola hunting. Oh, March. are you? Oh, that's dope, dude. Yep, hang out down there again with those guys, and then have you killed one of those before? I have not killed one myself. I've been there photographing when people have, okay. have killed them. They're kind of like little turkeys, aren't they? They're a little bit smaller, but I mean, there's. Maybe their average size is small, but they're not small as small as you. I mean, and I was under the impression that they were considerably smaller than an eastern, but but not that they're much. not that much smaller. Okay, uh, yeah, that's dope, dude. That's uh, so uh, man, we're going so many different places. Where are you at? Yeah, so I know you're like a big turkey hunter. Where are you at as far as species on turkeys? Uh, I've just killed easterns. Okay. Have you have you ever hunted Mm-mm. west of the Mississippi? Nope, never have. Dude. So I was always growing up, go down and hunt them in Mississippi uh, or West Tennessee. And now we've got a place in East Tennessee and hunt them in North Carolina in the eastern part of the state more than the western part of the state. Uh, but that's pretty much the extent of my turkey hunting. Dude, I, I think if you went and hunted Rios, man, you'd be like... I want to. It's just... It's, uh, Finding the time to do it is the yeah, hard yeah. thing for me. No, I get it, dude, but, man, very different than Easterns. Easterns are persnickety, man. Those reels, oh, yeah. those reels seem like like they don't really care, man. <laughs> like They'll just they'll give it up, man. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like we were talking about, like, when you're on the X, when you're goose hunting, you know? Like, it, you can, to someone that doesn't know, you can seem a lot better than you really are just because oh, yeah. of the scenario right yeah uh, I'm, I'm sure someone's listening to this and be like man i all i hunt is reels man and they're hard to hunt yeah. uh 
but just from my experiences and from everything that people that are much more experienced turkey hunters have told me is like there's no comparison to, to hunting a you know like a, a rio and uh where do we like a rio in kansas or a rio like way out west like yeah. an introduced one in oregon compared to like some eastern down in alabama or mississippi yeah. you know this guy all these good old boys chasing after him all the time yeah all the time that's cool so, dude man so if you go do that dude like you'll have you'll have like one of the hardest to get a hold of turkeys under your belt then mm-hmm. uh yep so i'd like to get get that one done and then uh do you aspire to do you aspire to like get a, a, a super slam or a grand slam or any of that stuff no i'm not i'm not that enthralled with any like one thing like the uh same with fishing like i'm not, I'm not really interested in any kind of world records or line mm-hmm. class records or anything like that you know it's for me it's okay i bought, caught a permanent fly that's cool i got a you know big tarpon i've caught you know it, it doesn't matter if i shoot you know a rio this year 10 years from now it's like yeah it's on the list but yeah you know my my goal is not to shoot a grand slam in a year or anything like that i've got too many different interests and sure too many different directions my head's kind of always zooming uh man let's segue into talking about uh the photography yep so i mean how much how much of your interest lies in that or like the the focus of your attention? Is it like funneling more and more towards that or is that something you do as, as happenstance or it's, how does it work out? Yeah, it's getting, uh, getting there. I do quite a bit of it. Um, it started as happenstance mostly like when, uh, Lindsay and I were traveling around. So that, at that time, you know, 25 years old, getting to go all these cool places, guiding in Alaska, you know, doing all this crazy stuff. And it's like, well, I need to start taking pictures of this. And at the time I was running around with some other uh, industry photographers and they helped me get straight on what camera to buy and start taking pictures and got better at it and got a better camera. And then kind of used some of the connections I'd made to the industry to start shooting for some folks. And uh, now it's kind of part of my repertoire of things that I do every year. And, and mostly it's a lot of spec stuff and, um, I do it as I'm doing these other things more so than mm-hmm. we'll get go on shoots and whatever else. Um, I get a lot of unique opportunities to do things that are kind of off the wall and photograph it and uh, submit those images. And sometimes people like them and buy them. Are you, are you writing any articles or anything to go with them? I've done some stuff. I had a couple, there's an outdoor magazine called strung magazine. Oh yeah, man. You, you had something strung, didn't you? Yeah, I did a, uh, one this past year on float planes, and then last year I did one on snow geese. Okay, kind of photo essays. Um, and there I used to I've done some articles and a lot of photography work for Southern Culture on the Fly magazine over mm-hmm. the years, um, which is digital. I've um, done some online blog work for Duck Camp and different other brands. And yeah, man, that's strong, man. That's a that's a really well put together yeah it's really nice man yeah paper quality the print quality everything gets the the writing and there's good and the images are who's the guy what's the guy's name that like runs it that uh oh i think i think uh i think he just left i don't know what he's doing now i need to connect with him oh okay yeah man no but yeah uh 
Okay, so now I'm going to do the Kevin Bacon game again. Uh, Jay Byer. Do you know Jay? I have never met Jay. Um, but floated around him we've, for years. Yeah, we've kind of floated around each other for probably the last 10 years or so. Yeah, so Jay Byer is a phenomenal yeah. uh, outdoor photographer, works a lot with Sitka, has worked a lot with Yeti, uh, Patagonia and stuff. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> true talk, like, the reason Lindsay and me are both yeah. with Sitka is because of Jay got us in. Uh, but Jay... Jay did about a year ago. Jay did a an article and a, a photo essay for Strong Two Man, mm-hmm. and yeah, man, just really that man that makes you a, that makes you a heavy hitter, dude. You know, like I don't know about because that. because I work with Mary, my, my you know my wife is a photographer, and because I feel like I can sell a lot more articles because I, I could be like I can yeah you can, get the photography it definitely with helps, it, but. It was crazy. It's, she gets, it's, she it's having done both. The, you know, for, for the writing is the harder part for me, at least. Sure. Than the than the photography, but um. it's hard for me, man. It, well, you know what it is, dude. Is it's like uh, there's a photography. You know, this is my observation, but photography is as much of someone's self that they bring to it. There's an element of documentation to it Mm -hmm. that takes a bit of the onus off of you maybe. But like when you're writing, when it's like no words and you have to come up with every word, it, it feels very exposing, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, especially when I started making a couple books, writing some articles, man, it was tortuous, tortuous because, uh, I just, you you feel like you're making something that's it's like shining a light on you. Critique on, yourself almost oh my too God. hard and forever. It's like, what yeah, are, you know, people think that, oh well, it's you know. And then you go back and change this, and then you change it back to what you'd written before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go through these weird creative periods where you can sit down and hammer something out in 15 minutes, and other times it takes you three hours to get two sentences. Oh it's man, just, I, I suffer now. If now if the suck factor uh, in writing has anything to do with the quality of it, then I'm like Dostoevsky yeah. at this point. Cause I like make it as hard as possible on myself. Uh, so now you're a, you're a gentleman, what in your mid thirties? Yeah. I will turn 34 in four weeks. Okay. So 34, man, still, still staving off middle age. Yep. But, I got some aches and pains that might tell you otherwise. Dude, it'll <laughs> add up, man. Uh, but so you know, you're 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 living a life that's it involves a lot of adventure, a lot of interacting with like cool, interesting people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, similar to what I get to do, but like you're you're dealing with like much more far flung adventure, right? Like yep. to the corners of the earth, right? And, yep. Uh, in the air and on the water and in amongst the trees, right? Uh, and so this is an incredibly broad question, but like, to what end? What uh, if if you know if we're all searching for something? What are what is this an exploration of for you? I mean, and you you can't. Here's a caveat: you can't give me the cop out answer of like it's fun. Oh like, no, obviously it's fun, but. 
I've always been a very curious, interested person, and I'm very quick to say yes to do anything. Like, I want to learn how to do everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, uh, want to learn how to woodwork. Well, I've, you know, was a, worked on a framing crew and finished carpenter for a little while. Uh, when my dad left Ducks Unlimited, he started Polaris Shop, so I grew up working on small engines and uh, can do a lot of mechanic stuff. And then uh, my neighbor... Uh, <coughs> in Asheville uh, is a fabricator for NASCAR teams and he taught me how to weld. And so I'm a very curious person. I want to learn how to do everything. I want to experience everything. You know, we're kind of given this short window of time and I don't think there's, you're never going to get to do everything you want to do, but I wake up every day trying to jam pack my day full of things that will make it fulfilling. And I want to experience as many different things as I can in the time that I've been given. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think that's uh, that's a sentiment, uh, you know, that, I mean, like Marcus Aurelius, you know, and like the father of Stoicism, like he talks about that, you know, uh, that idea of like get busy living or get busy yeah. dying, right? Uh, but, you know, what I find myself wondering about is, and I, I, I kind of relate it to some of my own experiences, you know, so kind of everything I've done in my adult life, it it kind of compounds on itself. Right. You know, so like I, I play music. Yep. And so because I'm playing music and I'm trying to like go on the road and stuff, I have to work these jobs that I can quit or get off or whatever. Right. So like I cook in restaurants or I work construction and I learn how to build things and I learn how to prepare food. And then that stacks on itself. And I'm like, you're telling stories with songs. You're kind of telling stories with food, right? And yep. then I get this place and blah, 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 all and that you, stuff. And right? you meet more people who are trying to do the same thing sure. with interesting things. And you have these kind of creative moments and work together and experience new things. And then that leads your curiosity to different directions. And it just kind of keeps snowballing. Well, you know what I wonder about with you, man, is so I know that for my one of my one of the big motivations for me personally is an idea of, uh, uh, I used to refer to it as like self-determination and now I think I might lend or lean more towards an idea of like self-sufficiency. But you know, if you can, if you like understand small engine repair, right. Or I mean, a Polaris, that's not a small engine. That's fuel injected, right? Uh, now back when, so when like growing up in the Polaris shop, I never got the new ATV. There was always one in the back that was junk that was scrapped for parts. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally we'd get two back there. and uh, You could rob off of one. Dad would be like, one. you can have it. It'd be, you know, 11 years old. And he's like, that one's got a blown up motor that needs to be rebuilt. And then you can rob the parts off the other one. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can have a four-wheeler, but you're going to build it. Sure. So, yeah, I'm 12 years old, ripping apart jet ski engines and putting them back together. You know, and working on Saturdays in high school making a few dollars for them and learning how to do all this stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So you're dealing with stuff with, you're dealing with carbureted stuff, right? Carbureted fuel injected, but, but I mean, learning those skills and, and learn how to do woodworking and whatever else, having those skills. Um, so when I decided to, I went to university of Tennessee and got an engineering degree. Oh, okay. And then was guiding fishing trips in the summer in college. And then when I was done with that, it's like, well, I want one more summer of fishing. So I went to Alaska but to make that leap, 
having these things kind of skills in your back pocket to where, you know, it's like, well, if this doesn't work out or I've get on, you know, hard times or I got to go three months, it's like, I have this skill that I can find a job easily doing to make ends meet. Yeah. You know what, uh, you know how Herring is? Mm-hmm. Hal Herring told me, we were kind of talking about this idea and he was like, uh, See if I do my Hal Herring impersonation. It makes you starve proof. Yeah. You know, like, no. you can keep yourself going. Or, I mean, shit, like, knowing that if you had to drive from Memphis, Tennessee, up uh, to the northern point of Alaska, and inevitably some shit's going to go awry, right? Yeah. That you have the capability to, if not know exactly what to do, you know you can figure it out. Yep. Right? And that... Which is a huge part of, yeah, like you said, like up in Alaska, what I do every day, we get flown and dropped off 30 miles from the next closest human or places where you would never be able to get yourself out of there. And if the engine messes up, we well, got to figure out how to get it back to the plane. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what it does too is that it, I mean, you're dealing with something that's like very cyclical and everything's feeding, like all these estuaries are feeding itself because, uh, Building that idea of uh, self-sufficiency and just figuring out how to work through stuff, even if you don't know, like knowing that you can, you can figure it out, that allows you to go further and further outside of your comfort zone, right? So I think there's a lot of people that, you know, they might, they're afraid to travel in whatever capacity it is. Maybe it's just outside of the state they're in, or maybe it's to the other side of the country or whatever, because of all the things that could happen. Like, what if this goes wrong or that? What yep. if this goes wrong? Uh, and like one of my, like dr me driving around in the van and hunting and stuff, man, it's like, that's the best thing. Cause you know, if something goes wrong with the van. Like, I mean, I'm not a mechanic, but I can figure out basic stuff. Yeah. You know, they didn't it break down on you when you were out, oh, out west earlier. Oh, just a <laughs> little year. bit. Yeah. I mean, just barely. I mean, I had to put a shock back on, yeah. but, uh, hell, man. There's no, but uh, yeah, like says stuff like that, and then you know, get a phone call, and it's like, hey, do you want to go drive a truck around the country for Yeti? And it's like, well, sure. Yeah, if we got a flat tire, we get something, and we're in the middle of West Texas. Yeah, man, like, I can you deal know, with it. dude. That's a sorry thing, dude. There's a lot of people that couldn't change a tire on their yeah. car. Uh, so that's a man. That now all those all those skills have, have served me well over the years. Um, everywhere I've gone, is there? And I kind of suspect you you don't have uh, something definitive, but is is there some is is there a, a a pinnacle for you to reach, or is or is the goal just to constantly be churning and and adding to the repertoire? I think probably that I, you know, I've never been able to work a job, a normal job, that easily because in about three months I've already outlearned my job and I'm ready for the next thing. And so that's why the seasonal thing really works for me because by the time we get here to the end of duck season, the last thing I want to do is go duck hunting again. Sure. I'm already thinking about, uh, taking a break or going turkey hunting or yeah, I'm, I'm carp fishing. Or I'm starting to think I'm, about turkey. Yeah. Already, I'm starting yeah. to think about the next thing. And when I'm done turkey hunting, I'm like the last thing I want to do is turkey hunting. I'm ready to go mm. striper fishing. And then I go do that. And it's like, okay, I'm ready to do the next thing. So, um, so as far as the end game goes, there's just so many places to explore and see and, um, that it's just, just trying to experience as, as much as I can. 
you know, man, and it's like, what a hell of a life to live, too, yeah. right? Like, so many. Yeah, I've been, been very fortunate. Um, and it's just all about saying yes to opportunities because you never know who you're going to meet along the way and what doors that's going to open. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and to see the bigness of the world mm-hmm. and to, uh, to interact with people that are very different than you. Uh, yeah, I think that, man, that's, a, that's something that's worth focusing on. So, you know. Yeah, I was very fortunate. My, my parents growing up, we never had the, um, we did okay. We were you know normal middle class family. Uh, but we would never have, I would never have, you know, whatever the popular stuff was at the time, you know, the New Balance shoes or the North Face backpack or whatever else. Mm-hmm. They saved that money and we would go on trips. Yeah. And we would go to, um, back to DC to visit friends and do cool stuff there. We'd go to New York City or we'd go, we'd go places. My dad took us to the Smoky Mountains, you know, when I was 10 years old and <laughs> went, uh, whitewater rafting for the first time. Back then. So we, they were very experienced focused Mm -hmm. and i think that paired with both of them eventually starting their own businesses and being very very successful at that um i just grew up knowing what the work load was to be successful at doing something that you want to do do you so you've been describing this okay wait let me back up real quick put a pin in that so what we were just talking about is something that I think is worth emphasizing again for folks. Uh, is that like saying yes to stuff, you know, like not letting, I'm not saying don't ever be informed by fear. Cause sometimes fear can keep you alive, right. but like don't let the fear of uncertainty stop you and, and, and give yourself, or it could be, you know, you feel tired that night and, uh, you got somebody that wants to go have dinner with you and rather than being like, Oh no, I'm too tired or whatever, just sucking it up and being like, yeah, let's go. Sure. Cause you might meet somebody out that might change your life. Uh, but I think that like knowing how to do stuff too, man, that, that helps with that as well, because I feel like I've gotten to a point. I, I think maybe 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been comfortable driving around in a van. Like, way out west you know with like a gun in the truck and like just going to the woods whatever blah blah but there's not like a whole bunch of shit that i don't feel like i can get myself out of like if if whatever's going wrong like i can i feel like i can extricate myself you know what i mean so like i've always but you gotta know your limits yeah and and be aware of that but also be willing to know when you can push it well, just yeah. a little bit and, yeah, okay yeah. i got myself into trouble but it's not so much trouble that and i can't then your limit, get myself out your of. limit changes right right like and then you push you that extend yourself you a continue bit. to push that further and further and further uh so back to the point i put a pin in man do you so you got so you you reference this with your parents you like you have this familial history of like entrepreneurship right mm-hmm. you're I mean, rampant entrepreneurship with what you're doing now. Uh, do you feel like you, do you have an inclination to, to like bucket oversight or authority or someone telling you what to do and how to do it? 
yeah, it's kind of always have questioned <clears throat> authority to some degree in my life, um, especially when it came to rules, even in middle school. And it, it just asking, you know, why is that, why is that rule there? So not, not even sometimes being like, oh yeah, you know, like F the man or whatever, but sometimes it's just like, out of well, curiosity. just out of curiosity. It's yeah. like, well, why do we have that rule? Why is that a rule? And people, you know, a lot of times don't know. And they can't give you a straight answer. It's like, well, then why? Yeah, never thought about it. Yeah, if you if you can't, you know, validate why this is here, then why? Like, why should I be inclined to follow along with it? And so, being able to kind of push those boundaries and, and think outside the box and really think about why you're doing things and the intent behind some of them. Man, you know my uh, so my my oldest daughter, who's five, she's like. Just kind of innately intelligent, just like rampantly curious, constantly asking why. Why is this? A, why do I do this? And you know, like I'm some, I'm three people's parent. You know, like I'm doing whatever shit, man. I gotta feed these people. I gotta all the responsibilities. And sometimes I found myself, you know, like, why don't I do that? And say, I, you know, I would bet you I'd said I've said this less than five times. Like. Because I said so, right? And I've always felt like such an asshole when I said that, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's always been, it's always been brought on by just like, just utter exhaustion, yeah. physical or, or mental. Yeah. But that's not a good answer. Sometimes it is. It is hard to, um, kind of explain necessarily the reasons. And there's been you know times in my life where, looking back, I, okay, I probably did push it too far and whatever else because I'll grow up and wise up and be like, oh, that's why they told me sure. not to do that or to do this. And it took me a while, but I've never been afraid to kind of push the limits a little bit. Man, and that's a, you know, that's an uncomfortable place for a lot of people because people want certainty, right? And there is a safety and security for, I feel like for most people and just the known and the expected and uh, being willing to ask why a lot and or even just quietly to yourself, like mm-hmm. try and analyze why this is the way it is. It, it necessitates that you're willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, right? Like it, even if it's just slightly ill at ease, it's why, you know, like however shitty wherever you live is, right? Like, I've had I've had some like shitty places I've lived like as an adult, right? Like didn't have any money and was blah blah blah. But no matter how shitty it is, like there's always like a comfort and security to like mm-hmm. get back to it. Yeah. Even if it's a place you like would never really want to be, but you just like you know it. Uh there's nothing weird about it. Like you, you just know what to expect. Uh and th- there's something wonderful and comforting about that in, in many ways, but I I do feel like it's uh, oftentimes for folks, it's like, it's like a stagnating force, mm-hmm. right? And the longer you're in that comfort zone, the, the harder it is to leave it. Yeah. And then you you don't even realize you're in it, you know? Yeah. Uh, What's the, the, is it one of Newton's laws? The object that is in motion tends to stay in motion. Sure. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
You know, it sounds like to me too, and I think this word often has a a kind of negative connotation, but I don't think it necessarily needs to be. But uh, you know, it, it seems like you kind of you have a perpetual sense of angst, right? Like that has to be mm-hmm. quelled by uh, like going seeing what's over the next the next like ridge top, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever find that do you ever find that to be like unsettling or do you ever wish that you could be a little bit more comfortable like being in one place for a longer time I think you know as the years go on back when we were doing all the events, yeah, I'd be gone 330, 340 days a year on the road. Oh, wow. Like a lot. And so now I'm trying to, there was a stretch in there where if you take out Alaska, um, which is three, three and a half months, I was not in the same place for more than about 12 days in a row for over two years. Man. So uh, I've come a long way from that. And now I tend to do, you know, six or seven different things with maybe another small trip. So it's not so much go here, two days, go here, two days. Um, so as, as I get older, it's definitely slowing down. But I'm trying to do um, more meaningful short-term things and then have these smaller kind of adventures and then come back home. That's kind yeah. of That's kind of where I'd like to um, eventually spend more time slowing down. And dude, Asheville's a rad place to have There's a so home much base, stuff man. to do there that I don't even ever get to do. Uh that that's one of the things that has allowed me I, I can like traveling, having that like having that van, like having this little hermit crab like little mm-hmm. shell, right? That I can always just crawl in the back and go to sleep wherever I'm at. That that's like uh, enough of the going home for a while. I mean, it, yeah, I, I want to be clear. I miss my wife and my children and stuff when I'm gone, but like having just like a little spot to myself, it's what makes it cool. To like go stay at, I can go stay at like my buddy's place for a week, but every night I'm in my own space. They can walk around in their house in their underwear or whatever yeah. and not have to worry about me. And I'll just be like, Hey dude, uh, I'll meet and you part for of it too, the and then when you do get home, you want to spend the quality time at home. Yeah, you're not distracted I'm, by other things. Then like, I'm just at when home. When you're home, yeah. you just want to be doing that, and then after a little while, you're ready to to go again. But um, yeah, even when I go home, it's like yeah, I want to go see these people. I want to go paddle this. I want to make the most of my time at home. Yeah, you're and still, I can imagine it's probably the same. You're still with living the kids. like intensely and intentionally, right? Yeah. It's you know, people ask me all the time, like, man, how do you? Uh, they're always asking me, like, dude, your wife doesn't care that you're gone. Your wife doesn't ever get mad at you. And, uh, yes, my wife does get mad at me sometimes when I'm gone. And she's at home with the kids. And, you know, having little kids is frustrating. And having them by yourself and no one yeah. to help out is is hard, right? Uh, I think that one of the factors that has that has allowed me, you know, to get – that room to go out is that then when I am home, um, you know, a lot of people are 
they might be home every night, dude, but they're not like necessarily present. Engaged, right? yeah, with what they're doing. Yeah, you know, they, they're gone all day long. They're, they see their kids for two hours at night or whatever. Pick them up from school. Kid goes up, plays on the iPad, and see them for yeah. 10 minutes in a day. You know, uh, Most of that's in the car. Yeah. Or it's like I was telling you, man, like, you know, I'm up here. I'm up here at the lodge. I got like 30 birds to process. I've got uh, this place to clean. And then I got to get the bungalow clean for some folks that are coming to hunt next week. I mean, it's like a day's worth of work, but I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to drive back to Little Rock in the morning and get my oldest kid and come back up here. And then we'll, we'll hang out all day long. We'll like, you know, she'll get to like put hands on birds and see stuff. Mm -hmm. We'll cook dinner together, you know, like just have a good time. Yeah. When you get that time off, you get the time off to do those. I get to like spend time with, I mean, mostly quality time. I'm with my family, with your family, you know, like we go to the library on Saturdays. Uh, they're little, so we're still not we're not doing like these big giant adventures, but just knowing that like, hey man, on Saturdays we go to the library and then we go and get Jimmy John sandwiches. Uh, uh, you ever eat Jimmy John's? Every once in a while, dude. I think that's like, it's like a sandwich is my favorite food on the planet, man. It's hard to beat. Oh, dude, I love a sandwich, man, and they they make a pretty good one, dude. Uh, owned by a. Uh, uh, a, f- a figure well known in the hunting world. Oh yeah, a polarizing character. Yeah. <laughs> was he Africa? Yeah, yeah. He got. He was. You know, they was he an elephant or the lion? I think it was an elephant. The lion was the dentist. Yeah. No, yeah. that dude's. He's killed all sorts of like yeah. charismatic megafauna, and I think he's. Which that's an interesting world over it, there doing that. It, it's weird. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around how it works, but. And I think he's, you know, he is like so, he's like super rich. He's got that FU money, right? Mm-hmm. So he can, he can be a, he can th- thumb his nose at convention. Like, uh, you know, people want to give him, people want to start making a stink about yeah, how, what he's, he's doing, how he was hunting. Him. Yeah. He, I mean, he doesn't care, man. He's got more money than God. <laughs> yeah. Off of bologna sandwiches, you know? Yeah. We don't, uh, and we don't have to go into the ins and outs of how all the, the conservation model works over there um and I, I i don't really have any interest in going and shooting elephants or lions or yeah um some of that stuff but i understand people who do and i understand how that system works so it's hard to sit there and, and detract from them man you know it i understand the whole argument with uh the monetization of of wildlife on the African continent and, you know, preserves. And I, like, I understand that logically. I, I, de- I definitely don't have like, uh, any interest in like mm-hmm. killing a lion or a rhino yeah. or any of that stuff. And, and, you know, it's like, I wouldn't, I would never go to wherever South Africa and kill a, a, a lion. Yeah. I would. And I want to, I would totally, hunt a mountain lion in the u.s you know yeah it's not like a predator big critter charismatic megafauna sorts of thing there's just there's just all these other layers to it uh but but kind of speaking about that like you were talking about so when you're over there and you're doing these different things uh and you're talking about 
like you might be like you might try and get a warthog or some of these like yep. really wild antelope species uh what what is uh and this is not a gotcha i'm not i'm just like genuinely asking you what is that like an experiential thing is it uh i mean i mean to me like the appeal of it would be that dude you're you you're just you'd be out on a landscape that you've seen in movies for your entire life right mm-hmm. that is otherworldly seen seen lots of animals seen animals that look like Dr. Seuss made them you know what i mean yep uh and like like we talked about like you you cannot bring that meat back but you can eat it while you're there you know like you yeah. can you can still like kind of get that whole experience while you're there. And you're talking about being there for a minute too. Like you're not just yeah, there for I'll be a day there or for two. about two and a half weeks. We're going over a uh, couple of days, of hunting a couple of days of conservation work and a couple of days of fishing. Uh, like I said, my sister and I are going over to do this trip that my mom and I were uh, supposed to do before she unexpectedly passed away. Uh, so we're kind of going um, to do that with a group that she worked with closely over there for a number of years. Do you, um, do you, so, are you comfortable, uh, divulging like what, how your mom was involved in conservation? Yeah. So she was, she did a lot of the communication. She was on the board for, um, the Al- Ivan Carter Wildlife Conservation Association. I think I've got that right. ICWCA. Um, and he's over there, does a ton of work, does a lot with, uh, I think Cabela's is big involved with, with what he does. Um, and they, move collar lines they've moved them and reintroduced them to places that need apex predators and they do a lot of giraffe rehabilitation they've got they do a lot of anti-poaching work and they've really got a lot going on and so she was on the board there and she and i were going to go do a trip to see what they all have going Mm -hmm. on and so my sister and i are effectively going to go do the trip that she and i were going to do so it'll be like a kind of you know possibly once in a lifetime experience but also like a uh, an homage and way to honor your mother. Correct. Uh, and then, you know, I was just thinking this too, man. So you're talking about going over there, hunting, yep. uh, conservation work. Yep. Uh, I would imagine you're going to take a picture or two. Yeah. Right? I have a camera to take with me. Uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of another example of, and you know what? It, it, it makes it hit different too, right? Like, even if you just hear this idea of like just some incredibly wealthy person that goes over and shoots an elephant and brings back its tusks or whatever, yeah. right? Like, there's lots of people that that feels like kind of weird or icky or whatever to, right? Uh, but going to a place to uh, honor your mother's memory, engage in conservation work so that these mm-hmm. these animals uh, persist for future generations, uh, and getting to participate in this activity that is like uh, endemic to your life and so important. Right. Uh, and take, take photographs that last forever. Right. And I'm sure you could get an article or two out of that if you yep. wanted to, man, like that, uh, that feels very different. That doesn't feel, it doesn't strike me as exploitative. You yep. know what I mean? It, it, it strikes me as participatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's cool, man. I'm glad you're getting to do that. That sounds like a like a neat experience, man. What uh, what countries would you be in? I think we'll be in South Africa and Mozambique. Oh, like Mozambique. totally 
opposite uh, no, it's right? just north of South Africa on the Indian Ocean. Oh, so, dude, I'm thinking. So we'll be fishing kind of over south, south tip of uh, Madagascar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. My, my mistake, my mistake there. That's cool, though, dude. So, Are you gonna, so you're going to be on the ocean fishing? Yep. Hopefully some GTs and um, other fun fish. What's a GT? It's a giant valley. It's the biggest jack in the world. You can, they've got crazy vis. There's some videos of them. They did. They were on the uh, what was it Planet Earth or one of those where they had the videos of those fish eating birds out of the air. Oh really? Yeah. Oh dude, that's cool. Yeah. Well, how do you uh, how would you target those? Uh, depends on how they do it over there. Hopefully, I do it with fly rod. Do you uh, have a you have a, like a special affinity towards fly tackle? Mm. It's kind of like we're talking about. It, it's funny working in that world there's so many fly anglers that kind of thumb their nose up at uh conventional fishing or spin mm-hmm. fishing or and vice versa you know spin fishermen that kind of think fly fishing yeah think fly fishing is like real uppity and and to some degree they're they're right but for me going back to like all of my curiosity um my first fishing guide job was running an inshore offshore boat and then went up to Alaska fly fishing off of that. And there's so much you can learn about one from the other. There's things that I've learned that I do now fly fishing that I learned 50 miles out in the ocean. And there's things that I do out in the ocean that I've learned as far as bait presentations, how fish want different things. So I want to learn how to do all of it Mm -hmm. because knowing how to do all of it is going to make me better at every single one of those things. Yeah. That's a good attitude to have, man. Uh, I got a buddy Drew that's like a just a bang up fly fisherman, man. Uh, but he'll totally like take a little Zebco and like go down to the creek he grew up fishing and like catch brim. Yeah, you know, it's fun. Yeah, it's that, a lot of fun. That's the thing that is fun. <laughs> a bobber and a cricket can be a, a hell of a way to spend an afternoon. Uh, okay, so last thing I want to bring up: uh, if you follow me on Instagram. Uh, or you have seen my van, then uh, you have seen this man's work as well. He's perhaps one of the best uh, bumper stickers ever. And it says, more people, less ducks. Will you tell me the story? You got, you got me- it backwards. Oh, wait, more, no, more, wait. More, more ducks, ducks less, less people. people. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much of a story there. It was the guy that I uh, grew up hunting with and had the farm that I had the lodge in Mississippi at for a while. He had that sticker on his one of his trucks. And it just said more ducks, less people, and had a few duck silhouettes on it. And uh, I looked for years and years and scoured the internet and couldn't find them. And uh, eventually I just said, well, I'm just going to make them because I just want one that bad. Sure. And so made a handful of them and just pretty much give them away to friends and people I meet along the way. And Yeah, they're cool, dude. Up. I got uh, I posted a picture of it when you were here last year, man, and like. There was this big response. Yeah, to I think it. you posted it, and I just I got like flooded with messages really? yeah, about man. it. I was, when I was hunting in Oklahoma, uh, at this dude Josh Henson's house. Uh, I looked weird in his. Uh, he had like a fridge in his uh, the, down in his woodworking room. He carves decoys, and it had that sticker right there in the middle. I was like, "Oh, dude, I know you yeah. saw that on the Instagram feed and hollered at this dude." Yeah. You gonna? Did you run out, or you still have some? I got a few left. I need to. I, I maybe have. <laughs> 10 or 15 left. I need to get you some. and Dude, you got to do another run of them, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a bunch of them. Dude, because, yeah, that's – and, yeah, I feel – I very much feel that way. 
Yeah, I, I don't need definitely, any more people. Yeah, definitely in uh, hunting Arkansas these days. Dude, I'll tell you what, man. It's a There's a brutality to it sometimes. But then sometimes you get like, you know, a day like today where you just on top of the world, man. Yep. And you know what's so cool about that too is, I mean, obviously it was like really fun for me, right? And like getting a call and work the birds. And uh, I feel like I only shoot well like one out of every four days and I was on it today, on it. man. You know, it's like, you know, when you, you shoot and Boom. that thing's stone dead and then Folds you go to the up. next one. Yep. Oh, I felt great. Uh, but I was looking down the line at all the folks that came to hunt and dude, they were all having a blast. Like you could, they yep. were getting to see tons of birds and get excited and like, oh man, it's, uh, it, it really is, man. It's a super rewarding, like fulfilling experience when that goes well, especially like when, you know, you're guiding and involved in like outfitting yep. and stuff and there's so much stress. Yep. And then it all goes well. <laughs> I mean, I think that's. You know, what draws so many of us to to waterfowl hunting to begin with is it's not, you know, it's not, I mean, you can certainly go out to any body of water and throw some decoys out and hope for the best, but to do it well and to do it well consistently, it's doing your homework and it's putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't always work, but doing your scouting, knowing how to set your decoys, doing it. And then when it all comes together, you kind of just sit back and get to enjoy it and that's the um i think that's why so many waterfowlers like turkey hunt too it's like when you finally get that turkey to, to commit yeah it's like you've won like whether you shoot them or not great hunt yeah yeah you know and it's dude it's the on that aspect too man it's like the the talking to them yep you know like you feel like you you, you don't feel like a passive participant in it you know like you feel like you're, yeah you're not trying to just like sit in the corner and wait and yeah i mean not i know guys are deer hunting well and they know the you know the bedding and the fit like i i get that deal but with um especially with with ducks doing you know doing your homework and setting everything up and there's so much of the puzzle to put together to make it to make it work and then when it's done it's yeah it's, it's really something it, special man, it is something dude you are right uh well man uh Folks want to follow you in your adventures and see your work and what you're doing. What's what's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, Instagram, obviously, everybody's got to have one these days. Um, at the Smolk Show, S M O L K S H O W. It's a nickname somebody's gave me in college because of my last name. And uh, uh, my website, www.johnsmolko.com. So it's the Smolk Show. Yeah, but it's Smolko. Smolko. Uh, well, shit, man. Hey, dude, thanks a lot for taking the time to stop in today. Thanks dude. for having me. Uh, you got a boogie, or you want to eat some dinner, or what? I'll hang around, and eat some food. I'm in no rush. Cool, man. Yeah, we'll get some. Uh, we'll get some grubbage on here. Uh, well, hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening all the way through to this most recent episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. You can keep up with me on Instagram and on the, the Black Duck Revival website. The website's just blackduckrevival.com. Instagram is blackduckrevival, is that handle. And uh, yeah, you can check out recipes, you can check out uh, some videos. 
articles, all sorts of stuff. We've uh, we got Turkey Tour coming up here starting in March, and we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But lots of states this year. It'll be uh, uh, Texas and uh, California again, Oregon again. We'll be in Idaho. We'll be in Montana, uh, Wyoming. Uh, sounds like North Carolina as well, and possibly South Carolina. So lots of stuff coming up here in the spring. Uh, if everything goes right, uh, there will also be a spring bear hunt involved in that. Uh, maybe a, a hog down in Texas. Uh, all sorts of stuff. So, uh, like I said, keep up with me there on Instagram. Tell your friends, tell your families, tell your acquaintances, tell your enemies about the podcast. And uh, thank you so much for the support. We'll see you next time. <laughs>